Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. I am wearing a sweater vest, and so especially if you're new to Hillspring, that's kind of code around here. If you see the sweater vests, uh, just brace yourself. It's, it's going to be a hot minute. Um, you'll have to elbow your neighbor to kind of keep them awake because I love all things history and theology and all that. And so uh, this sermon may feel more a little bit like a seminary lecture, uh, but it's good because we are on this mission to grow with Jesus in 2023. And literally, a couple of years ago, I, ju- I just felt like with the state of the church, some of this came about in COVID, that like, I'm just going to teach some of the foundational stuff that may not be four ways to fix your marriage or six ways to fix your finances or how to fix your kids or whatever. I'm, I, because I think the Bible does all of that in its own rhythms. And so we're just on this journey with Jesus as you're walking through the very active gospel of Mark. And, and Mark will use a lot of words like immediately and, and suddenly. So Today, I'm, I'm wearing the, the sweater vest, so you have been appropriately warned. John Mark was actually the guy that wrote the Gospel of Mark, and we think it's possible that he knew Jesus. We think it's possible he saw Jesus. We think it's possible he was one of the peripheral followers of Jesus, but that's not why his Gospel was, the term is canonized, why it was included in the New Testament. The reason why his Gospel was put in the New Testament because it was the teachings of, of Peter, really, I mean, Peter was one of Jesus' closest companions. And John Mark sat at his feet and learned from him. And, and so it was Peter's accounts of Jesus' teaching and miracles and, and, and ministry that that's, that's why Mark's gospel was included in the New Testament. I do admit that I have a bad habit of things that I find interesting. I assume you will too. Might not be a safe assumption. Some of the things I find interesting are like World War II airplanes and steel guitars, to which my wife would go, good Lord, no. Okay? Some of you maybe find it interesting. You keep coming to Hill Springs. Some of you maybe just come for the free coffee. I, I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm glad you're here. Today, I'm going to warn you, I've given into a little bit of the bad habit. So we're going to do some exercises in a minute to wake you up, stand up, turn around, touch your nose, all that kind of stuff. Because I want to keep you engaged. Because I really believe it's important you understand the foundational stuff, the why behind certain things happen. And, and I'm just going to kind of spoil the ending. We're going we're to go right to Jesus has this conflict with some guys called the Pharisees. And they're kind of questioning him about his behavior and questioning him about things like that. And he goes right to talking about the Sabbath day. So everything I'm going to set up, we're going to eventually get to Jesus in this conversation in Mark chapter 2 about the Sabbath day. And we'll read that in just a moment. Mark is very active in his work. Like he doesn't even tell the birth of Christ. He just gets right straight to the mission and ministry of Jesus. But while he's doing that, he's building this tension between Jesus and the bad guys. Now, literally, the title of this message is The Antagonists, The Bad Guys, okay? There's this growing tension between Jesus and the established religion that they're in today in our conversation that's gonna kind of reach a new height. So let me, let me back up a couple of steps and we're gonna run and jump right into it. In the beginning words of Mark chapter two, where Jesus heals this paralyzed man, 
he does this miracle, but using this miracle, he wants to do more than just heal the guy. He wants to capitalize this moment to prove a point. Why? Because miracles had been done before. Moses did a lot of miracles. Elijah, Elisha, they had had multiple miracles accredited to their ministry. So to do a miracle, now that's pretty cool. Not just everybody can do that. But Jesus was more than just a Moses or Elijah or Elisha. He wasn't in the same category as those guys. He was using the supernatural to prove a point that, hey, I really am the divine son of God. So in the opening verses of Mark chapter two, we have this first conflict, this first encounter with the antagonists. And in scripture, you're gonna see them called Pharisees. And today I want you to understand who they came from, where they came from, why they got their name. And so the, see, they're called Pharisees because they're not fair. You see, that's where their name, that's not, that's not Hebrew or anything. That's not even funny. Don't lie with that. In other parts of the gospel, you will see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So at the sake of kind of boring you with some biblical foundational stuff, I want to talk about where they came from, what, what, what they mean. Like, where did the word Sadducee come from? Why were they called that? Because they were so sad. No, sorry, I'll quit. I'll quit. Let's, we got work to do. We got... So we typically kind of take the Pharisees and the Sadducees and we group them together, kind of in this catch-all religious elite, okay? And we kind of envision them a little bit, I don't know, a little, I'm going to use a word Jerry uses from time to time, smarmy. It's not a made-up word, it's a real word. She heard it on some TV show, and a smarmy. It, it, like, best described as used car salesman. If you sell used cards, we love you. You're not smarmy, the others are, right? Okay? But it's kind of this cold, judgmental, legalist, insincere. Like, the Pharisees and the Sadducees would care more about the law than the people the law was intended to protect. And Mark gets to the point quickly in his fast-paced writing... And it does not take much time to get Jesus in conflict with the antagonists or the bad guys, the Pharisees. So the Pharisees first voice their concerns about Jesus when he heals the paralyzed man in the opening words of Mark chapter two. We, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. But now he's just gone too far. He can't do that. More and more people are showing up to hear Jesus speak and teach far more than ever show up to hear them teach. And Jesus is drawing bigger crowds, and I think jealousy is at the core of their disdain for Jesus. But if he is going to have the right to teach and be called rabbi and speak to people about spiritual things, there is a certain code of conduct. There is a certain code of behavior that Jesus must prescribe to. And he would refuse to bend to their demands. Like, he would invite the scum of the earth tax collectors to come be one of his closest friends and companions and be one of his 12 disciples. And even more than that, he would actually go to their home. In, in, in the Gospel of Mark, it says, he went to their home and there were more disreputable sinners. Not just sinners, but disreputable sinners. And now in this story we're gonna look at today, Jesus and his disciples blatantly disobey the law of God in their wives in the way they see it, in their eyes. So, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And, and this is where um, my bad habit is, things I find interesting. I hope that you'll find some interest in them too. So I wanna take you to the Old Testament. 
If you've been around Hillspring for a while, it's a book we're very familiar with. It's the book of Daniel, right? Lucky you. Some of you just had some PTSD kick in. <laughs> Daniel chapter 1, verse 7. <laughs> I know your heart, brother. <laughs> and you're going to meet four characters, very famous in children's Bible stories, but Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, meaning they were Jews who'd been taken away from their homeland. They were being carted off in exile, but they could no longer go by their Jewish Hebrew given names. They now had to have Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But Daniel, right here, catch this. This, this is the point of what I'm after. Daniel determined not to defile himself. Daniel determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine that was given to him by the king. He asked the chief of staff permission not to eat this unacceptable food. The Pharisees would tell you that this list of characters, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be some of the first Pharisees. They would be some of the first people that would make the decision, we're men of God and we want to be set apart from culture. We want to be separated. And that's what the word Pharisee actually means. It means separated or, or set apart from culture. So the Pharisees found their origins in this Babylonian exile when the culture around them was pounding them with temptation, on the daily was begging them, forcing them at times, to give up portions of their Jewish culture. Such was the case with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. The intention is like, we're in this world. God chose for us to be born in this time. We're in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. I don't have to give in to all the defilement of the world that's around me. I can live in this world. I can be surrounded by the peoples and things of this world, but the world is not going to define me, and I'm not going to let the world defile me. If that makes sense, say amen. So what set out during a very dark time in Jewish history of the Babylonian exile was an attempt to be very spiritual and hold true to the things of God. They wanted to hold true to the spiritual customs and the things that the children of Israel held near and dear to their heart about their worship, about the things God had prescribed for them. And so in those moments, the people who were set apart, the Pharisees, were born. If you're still with me, say, yes, sir. Because I'm going to confuse it a little bit. All right, so let's take the next step in history. This also would happen in the book of Daniel, right around Daniel chapter 6 and 7. I'm not going to put anything on the screen. But for those of you that want to know in biblical history where we are, there's a little bitty book in the Old Testament called the book of Ezra. So the Babylonians were then conquered by the Medo-Persians, which would eventually just become the Persians. And one of the things that the Persians did was they allowed the people that the Babylonians forced to relocate, the Persians go, okay, you can move home now. And it was more than just go back to the family ranch. It was you can go home and all those religious things, your religion that they made you give up, we don't care. You can go back and you can reestablish your religious practices. 
So the children of Israel believed this was the hand of God. I mean, Scripture says that. God moved upon the Persians' king to let them go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. He even helped and gave some resources to do that. And the book of Ezra is about the exiles returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding their temple. Now, they let them reestablish their religion. They did not, however, let them reestablish their monarch. They could not form their own version of government. They were still under Persian rule. So what happened there was the religious system, those became the key influencers of the day. So by default, because we couldn't have government, so by default, the religious leaders became the dominant authority in the culture. If that makes sense, say, uh-huh, okay, because I lost first service, never got him back. It was, it was ugly. Okay. Now, one of the things that's interesting about the book of Ezra is the tone is a celebratory. It's a book of celebration for the most part. Because the Persians had almost kind of freed them from Babylonian captivity. The Persians allowed them to go home and, and rebuild their temple that had been destroyed and start worshiping their God the way they were commanded to do so. There's this celebration about it except for a small group that were purists. And they felt like because the Persians actually gave them some assistance in building the temple, that the temple was corrupt and it was defiled because they felt like the temple should be built solely with Jewish resources, with Jewish money, Jewish hands. But the Persians helped them a little bit. So there was this group of people that were like, well, it's not a pure temple because it has pagan money attached to it. So there began to be this divide a little bit in what was the original Pharisees, okay? So another group came about, and they became known as the Sadducees, okay? And so now you not only have the Pharisees, but you have the Sadducees who did adopt the temple, and they really became the ones that took care of the temple. The Sadducees were more of the Levite priesthood, if you've studied your Old Testament, that was the tribe that God said, you're in charge of the temple. So the Sadducees typically were more Levitical in their heritage. And the Pharisees didn't stay around the temple. They actually went out into the highways and the byways and the small villages. There would be a third group come along called the Essenes, but we really don't study them much in Scripture. It's just the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, the temple was in Jerusalem, but Jews were commanded to, to worship and so what if I live four days from? How did I go to church, right? So in, in rural communities, specifically away from Jerusalem, they would start to build houses of prayers or otherwise known as synagogues. You'll even see that in Mark. Jesus went to the synagogue. It means in this town that there was their version of a church and it was a house of prayer also known as a synagogue. Well, the Pharisees would go into those communities and they would be the rabbis. They would be the teachers. They would be the ones that would get the the scrolls from the prophets, and read and teach. Keep in mind that the religious structure became the dominant authority in the nation of Israel, okay? So I don't know about you in January. A lot of times people will, okay, I'm gonna read through the Bible this year. And so when you read through the Bible, you always start in the book of Amos, it's first, right? No, Acts. No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's Genesis, right? We always go to like, I'm gonna read Genesis. And Genesis is pretty cool because you read creation and you read Adam and 
Eve, and then you read about Noah and about Abram, and man, you get to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and those are pretty cool stories, right? And then you get into Exodus, and that's cool because God does all the 10 plagues and all that type of stuff, and, you get through, and then about the time you get to the middle of February, like we're almost there, you come up on this book in the Bible called Leviticus. I mean Leviticus, right? Leviticus. And it's just a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules. And so what happened was the children of Israel, for 430 years, they lived in slavery in Egypt. They'd been told what to eat, when they could eat, when they would work, what they would work, what they would do, what their children would grow up and become. For 430 years, they did not know how to govern themselves. So God rescues them with the hands of Moses out of Egypt. It's what the book of Exodus is about. He takes them out in the wilderness. Problem is they don't know how to, they don't know, they don't know, you know they don't, have a code of conduct. So God gives them his law and that's what the book of Leviticus is about. And what's interesting, a lot of it is about personal health care. Like it gives instructions. If you have a hair that gets infected in your arm, what you're supposed to do with that? Or if you see a person that has a certain kind of boil, be careful with that because it's highly contagious. But it also is very specific about their religious traditions and their ceremonies and their sacraments and so on and so forth. All right? So, God was very specific with his laws and behaviors. Now, the Ten Commandments was kind of the, he took all that and like, hey, if you'll do these 10 things, it covers a lot of that other stuff. But you have the, the Ten Commandments, okay? The Pharisees, out of a heart of purity, you gotta hear that. Because when we hear the word Pharisee and Sadducee, we're kind of like, boo, hiss, they're the antagonists, they were the bad guys. But in the early, early infancy, out of a heart of purity, man, they wanted to love God. They wanted to honor God. They didn't want to defile themselves with the thing of the culture. They didn't want to let an inch of sin creep into their life because an inch will turn into a foot and a foot will turn into a yard and a yard will turn into a mile. And they knew, so I'm, I just, I'm, I'm gonna keep a lot of safeguards in my life. So to prevent that, what they would do is they would take God's laws and then they would just for my term, they would just draw margin around it. Let me give you an example. A couple of these laws are pretty cut and dry. Hey, don't steal. Okay, if it's not yours, don't take it. Don't cheat. Don't lie. But there were some of them that were like, okay, well, what is, what is that? Like, what's that mean? And one of them that we're gonna encounter today in Mark chapter two is this idea of keeping the Sabbath day. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And what that that kind of leaves room for interpretation. How do I honor, keep rest? What, what does that mean? So again, out of a heart of purity to honor and please God, they would go, well, what is work? Well, I don't know. We better give it some clarity. Well, let's say that it, if you walk a mile in a day, you've worked. And if you walk more than a mile in a day, you've worked and you've broken the law, so then you would be a sinner. Well, we don't, we don't wanna walk a mile. We don't wanna accidentally work. So we're gonna make our law and say, on a Sabbath day, you can't walk more than, I don't know, a half a mile. I mean, these aren't the numbers, this is what they did. But they just gave themselves a margin around the laws of God because they didn't want to accidentally do too much and break the law, okay? So, Ezra's temple was in Jerusalem. Each town and village had its own version of a church, a synagogue. The Sadducees were kind of at the temple. Matter of fact, when you read Jesus encounters the Sadducees, typically it's around Jerusalem, when he's out in the villages, he's engaging with the Pharisees like the story in Mark chapter two, okay? And so the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they kind of, they had this, this divide between them. 
And the Pharisees were kind of the rabbis for the common man, the working man out in the farm. And the Sadducees became more of an elite, more astute. Well, we're here at the temple. We are. You know? And so they just kind of, kind of would become this divide between them. Okay? God gave the laws to protect, just like a parent would give laws to their children to protect them. Like a parent's been through some stuff. Like they know, if I go stand out in the middle of the road, there's going to be a car come flying down that road. So baby, you're three years old. You're not going to go play in the road. You're going to have to stay over here. No, 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 no. So just like a parent puts laws, rules in place to protect their children, God would do the same thing for his kids. He would put laws there to protect them. Listen, baby, we're not going to stick sharp metal things into electrical sockets. We're not doing that. Man, I want to. No. Listen, baby, we're not going to go to school at OU. It's not good for you. <laughs> not a single person left in that in first service. Not a, I mean, it all stemmed out of this heart of protection. And God did that for the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you these laws, not because I'm trying to trick you or trap you, but they are to protect you. And then man would add to them. And the longer as time went, they became more oppressive and, and more manipulative. What happened was the people that were on the receiving end of that teaching began to see God as heavy and angry. And God's always mad at me. And man, I can't do anything right because there's all these laws that I couldn't keep anyway. So when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys have completely missed the intent of God's heart about all of these laws. And you're going to see that played out probably no other place more beautiful than in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is like, you've completely missed the intention of God's laws. Jesus came to, to change their perception. He's, he's daddy. He's papa. He's Abba. That, that's the word he would use is Abba, papa. Okay? But for decades, the legalists had dominated the teaching in the temple. They dominated the teaching in the synagogues. And all it was was a bunch of do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts and do's and don'ts. Okay? Now, I want you to think for one second about heaven and, and kind of what we've been taught, what we've read, what we've been told about heaven. Like one of the things, like when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. Right? One of the first things that's going to happen is going to be a banquet table. God wants to have a feast with all of his kids. We read about no tears in heaven, no sorrow, no pain, no suffering. There's going to be this great feast. What I want you to see, and some of you might get offended. Jesus brought the party of heaven to earth. And the Pharisees were like, whoa, 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 you, you, can't, you, can't, you can't hang out with those kind of people and still be considered a rabbi. There's a code of conduct. No, 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 no. Jesus, you can't do that. Why are you letting your disciples break the law? And Jesus is like, I ain't here for a long time, but I'm here for a good time. You know what I'm saying? So much so, so much so that the Pharisees would call him a drunkard. Let me show you Luke chapter seven, put it up on the screen. It said, for John the Baptist didn't spend time eating bread or drinking wine. John fasted a lot. John was very righteous in his lifestyle. He didn't eat bread. He didn't drink wine. And you say, well, he's, got, he's possessed by a demon. 
And then the Son of Man, Jesus, on the other hand, he would feast and drink, and you say, he's a glutton. They called him a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. How dare you go to church and have a good time? God has a heart of celebration. Don't miss this. Don't, 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 don't abuse this because he also has a heart of righteousness. He also has a heart of purity. God also has a heart of holiness, but God is a good God. And Jesus brought the celebration, joy-filled partay from heaven down to earth and the religious elite uppities, they didn't care for it none. And that's what we're gonna run into here in Mark chapter two. If you're still with me, say yes, sir. Okay, in the Jewish culture, they are a very festive culture. Like when they have a, like there's seven in the Bible, but then there's, like if you go Google it, there's a lot. Like there's over 20 feasts and so, and they don't just take the day off like we do on Thanksgiving, brother. They go several days. That's just a part of their culture. It's part of their culture, okay? And so there was a thought, a teaching in Jesus' day among rabbis. It's not found in the old prophets is not found in the old testament but there was this thought that was taught by some rabbis all right you ready if the observance of any law came in the way of having a good time specifically during a wedding you did not have to keep the law i'm going to read that again if the observance of any law came in the way of having a good time specifically during a wedding you did not have to keep the law. So, Momzilla of the bride on wedding day, murder's in here. You know what I'm saying? You just need to slow your roll. Be careful. Just kidding. Meaning, here's the point. God had a heart of celebration, and celebration and feasting and celebrating what he's doing, that trumped everything. Marriage feasts were an extraordinary time. There were extraordinary festivals. That's why in Mark chapter 2, and I want to start real quickly in verse 19. Jesus, how come you and your disciples don't fast like we do? We're teachers and we're rabbis, and there's a code of conduct that you need to prescribe to Jesus. How come, you don't, how come you're not holy and fast like us? And this is what Jesus says. He's going right at that teaching that they themselves were probably teaching in the synagogues. And he says this. Do, do wedding guests fast while they're celebrating with the groom? Of course not. What was the rule? And observance any law came in the way of having a good time during a wedding. You didn't have to keep the law. Do wedding fast fast during celebration? Like, I know that like this day might be your normal fast day, but if it happened to fall in the middle of a wedding feast, do you fast? Oh, no, you don't. I'm sorry, you're just mad at me because I'm not living up to your code of conduct. They can't fast while the groom is with them, verse 20, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and they will fast. Jesus is saying, that's funny that you make a big deal out of fasting days. But if a wedding fast falls on one of those days, you're not so committed, are you? You probably could have heard a pin drop. And by the way, Jesus is like, I'm the groom, the church is the bride. Can't we just spend some time celebrating what God's gonna do? Can I get an amen? If a law gets in the way of having a good time, it was okay to have a good time. All right, one more little rabbit trail. Look at your neighbor, check on them. Like, check their pulse, because this one's gonna hurt a little bit. 
Got a couple making out on the back row. That's not cool. That's not what I meant. <laughs> Who is this? In the book of Genesis. It's going to be a long ride home today. <laughs> Dad, you were so embarrassing. In the book of Genesis, God makes a covenant with an old man by the name of Abram, who would eventually become known as Abraham. And Abraham did not have any offspring of his own. And God said, I'm gonna make you and Sarah the father of many nations. Your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the skies. And when he makes him that promise, he does something. There is a covenant ceremony that takes place. There's actually animals that are sacrificed. They're cut in half, and this is a very common covenant experience for that day. And they would split the animals in half and two, and then the two parties of the covenant will walk through. Okay? In Genesis chapter 15, this is what's going to happen. Abram or Abraham and God are going to have their covenant ceremony. And I want you to see something very specific that happens. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And then a terrifying darkness came down all over him. Abraham goes into this deep sleep. And then if you keep reading verse 13, 14, 15... He's, God starts talking. He tells Abraham while he's in this sleep, this is what's going to happen to your children. They're going to live in oppressive slavery, but I'm going to deal with the people who would be masters over them. Here's the point I want you to see. While Abraham is at rest, God is saying, I'm going to take care of this. While you're sleeping, I'm going to take care of it. You've Abraham, you've got to learn to rest in me. Abraham, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this through you. Your part is, just take a nap. The command of the Sabbath, it's in one of the Ten Commandments, right? And it has this rest component. Honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, God rested. You and I, our bodies need rest. But there is also this celebration component to the Sabbath. It was like every week having a celebration, having a feast. And what they were celebrating was the rest that God gave to Abraham when they made that covenant. In that covenant ceremony, when Abraham fell into that deep sleep, every week that they were celebrating the, the Sabbath, they were celebrating the deep sleep nap that Abraham went into when God made that covenant, every week when they were resting, they were resting just like Abraham did. So in the absence of a Jewish government, because they couldn't have one, the Jewish religious it flourished. That became the means of power and influence. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, no, 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 no. You guys have completely missed the intent of God's heart with these laws. God has a heart to protect you, not to beat you down and oppress you with them. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23. I'll go quickly. Y'all know that ain't going to happen, right? Okay. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off the heads of the grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, you're not meeting our code of conduct. Your people aren't meeting our code of conduct. Why are they breaking the law? What law? Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus and his disciples walking through this wheat field, and they just grabbed some wheat off the head. Well, that was against a man-made rule. The command was just 
keep the Sabbath day holy and rest. Didn't say anything about wheat. And then they, they take that wheat that they pulled off and then they rub it in their hands, meaning they were thrashing the wheat, which also was against man-made law. But notice what the Pharisees said. Look, why are you breaking the law? What law? Whose law? Leviticus doesn't say anything about that. Exodus doesn't say anything about that. What law were they breaking? They were breaking the man-made law. And Jesus makes this point, verse 27. This is why we're here. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, period. The Sabbath day was given so that you could rest. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people made to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord, hey buddy, even over the Sabbath. I'm bringing the party from heaven down here. You know why? Because I can, I'm Jesus. The purpose of the law was to benefit the people so that they could rest, so they could stop and celebrate the covenant that God made with Abraham. The purpose of the Sabbath was not so God like, "Mm mm-hmm, just waiting on one y'all walk too far. Oh, that one picked wheat. Get him. Snap him. That was not the purpose of the Sabbath. The purpose of the Sabbath was so that we could rest. People were not created to be manipulated by the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created so people could rest. If that makes sense, say yes. I've done my job today. All right, love y'all. See you next. No, I'm just kidding. Hold on, hold on. Somebody's like, no, he's got blanks. We got to fill in the blanks. So a couple of years ago, God showed me this principle, the difference between a policy and a principle. Policies are rules. Companies have some crazy policies, like do not turn off the lights in the bathroom between eight and five. You know there's a crazy story behind that policy. Somebody in there, nobody knew they was there and the lights went out, right? So policy is something I have to do. A principle is something I should do. Like a principle is like, hey, you don't have to, but if you'll do this, it goes really well for you. Giving is not a policy. You can give your life to Jesus and never give a dime to the kingdom. I'm fully convinced you'll go to heaven. Now you're gonna be a greedy old goat when you get there, but that's a whole nother thing. But there is a principle that if I will tap into, God says, if I'm a generous person and I tithe, then it will go well for me. Not every day is going to be great. Sometimes tires go flat and refrigerators go out. But it is a biblical principle that if I will tap into it, my life will benefit from that. Sabbath is a principle, not a policy. Someone please call Chick-fil-A and tell them that. Just kidding. Number one, I need Sabbath rest. You need, we need Sabbath rest. It's a day for worship. It's a day for rest. It's a day where families used to gather around the table, spend hours in bonding relationship. So my great-grandfather had three sons, Guy Jr., we called him Jr., my grandfather, George William, called him Bill, and then my Uncle Jim, who's still alive. He's the last of the three. And those three boys grew up, they got married, they had kids and families, and the, the deal was you went to church on Sunday and then all three families would converge at my great-grandparents' house at Daisy for Sunday lunch. And there were seven Kellogg boys about eight years apart. I mean, like just, it was a lot. All cousins, nibblings. That's a new word for you, okay? And then there were three girls, bless their hearts. They turned out okay, but it was lots of counseling, all right? 
So those seven boys actually grew up more like brothers because they went to school together every day. They worked together in the hayfields. Every Sunday was spent at Grandpa Guy and Granny Grace's. And it wasn't just go eat lunch and then go home. My dad would say they would literally be there for hours while Grandpa Guy and his three sons and their wives sat around the table and they just were together as a family. That's a lost art, America. God gave that law, the law of the Sabbath. And every other law of the Ten Commandments was with a purpose to protect you and I. Listen to me, young people, we're gonna set the world on fire and change the world. There's this temptation to break this principle and just work and go and work and go and go. And listen, you can go and go and go and you can ignore the principle of the Sabbath. But what will happen is you're gonna wake up one day and your health will be in despair. Your marriage will be in disarray. Your kids will feel like you've been an absent parent and your life needs a rhythm of rest. The Sabbath was created for you. So my best advice is follow the wisdom of God. Make it a discipline out of taking a Sabbath and resting. You can ignore this principle. You, you can ignore the Sabbath and still go to heaven. You'll probably get there before the rest of us, but you can still go to heaven, all right? So I need Sabbath rest. And the number two we all need, I need Sabbath worship. So the day was more than taking a good nap. We all need Sabbath Worship. I've read that covenant story about the animals being split and Adam and or Abraham and God walking through. I've read that. I've read that. I've seen the words deep sleep. I never connected the dots about Abraham resting while God was fulfilling the covenant. Never connected those dots. Part of why the Sabbath is so important. Yes, our body needs rest. Yes, we need to slow down. But more importantly, the children of Israel every week stopped, paused, took time to say, God, Thank you for choosing Abraham. You could have chose anybody else, but you chose Abraham. God, thank you for choosing us. The Sabbath was intended to keep them grateful. It was a day to stop and rest and stop and say thank you. Worship is just an act of gratitude. It's not about touchy-feely when we're singing, Lord bless you, and like, ooh, you know. It's not just about your emotions. It's literally going, God, thank you. Thank you for radically saving my grandpa Guy. And he changed the trajectory that that family was headed because my great-great-grandfather was an alcoholic and couldn't get home with a paycheck. But God saved my great-grandfather and now there's generations of legacy. God, thank you that you chose my family. God, thank you that you saved even a wretch like me. Worship is an act of gratitude. If we don't stop, slow down, make worship first a priority, the next thing you know, we kind of get out of the habit. Maybe we get lazy. Maybe we get too busy or whatever. And the next thing you know, we start to see God in an unhealthy way. The enemy will make sure you have those unhealthy thoughts that God's mad at you, God's angry. God's up there just waiting for you to break rules. We need to intentionally slow down to say, God, I just want to be with you. I want to worship first and then trust you with the rest of the week. It's the discipline of every week of stopping and saying, God, thank you. Because if you don't stop and say, God, thank you, if you don't count your many blessings, name them one by one, you don't remember all that God has done for you, then when you find yourself in a trial, I'm telling you, the enemy is gonna try to make you think God has abandoned you. But you need to weekly stop and find something new to thank God for. Just make it, it's, it's so much about rest, is it is stop and saying, God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for the covenant. Thank you for choosing me. Thanks for loving me. Thanks for saving me. 
I start my week with spiritual rest and it sets the tone for the rest of the week. I promise you, if you will take that Sabbath rest, you will get more done in the other six days than if you try to work on that day. It's a principle that God's put in place. The Sabbath really is, it's a tithe of our time, giving God the first portion and trusting him with the rest. It's not a rule. God's... It's a principle that if you and I will learn to rest and worship and celebrate what God has done in our life. Amen, everybody? Listen, if you're here today and you know you're not in right relationship with Jesus, I don't want to miss this moment. I want to give you the gospel plain, short, and simple that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, meaning we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes. And while you were stuck and dead in that sin, God sent his one and only beloved son, Jesus, to die a brutal execution on a cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of sin. Romans says if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will, not maybe, not might, not can, you will be saved. Have you ever done that? Have you ever confessed and believed? I wouldn't embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I'm not going to ask you to talk to anybody. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer where we're going to confess and believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. There's no magic formula. I just, I just want to guide you in this prayer. All across this room, nobody's moving around. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you today, just pray this with me. If you know you're not in right relationship with God, just, just say this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you today because I'm me. I've made a lot of mistakes. And I don't want that life anymore. Would you come into my life? Would you begin to change me? Make me a new person? Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye still closed. I promise I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray real quick for you. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer with me word for word, just lift up your hand. Anybody here? Flip it up real high, I wanna see. Let me pray for you. Hold it up. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us today. Lord, may we be people of Sabbath, not because we need a nap, we need to celebrate what you've done in our lives through the person of Jesus. Lord, we want to be a church where we see hundreds of people this year through our partnerships, through our ministries, come to know Christ. God, we love you. We're excited about what you're doing. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way, you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the Give Now button so that we can take this message around the world. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.